and football was the only place I was always right. It was the only place, because remember, at school, I was bad because I had energy. But football, I was always, good job, Frost. Way to go, Frost. So I gravitated to it. It was like, this is the place, this is my place where I'm good. You know, this much more energy that I have than everyone else is celebrated. So I just, I took it in and the rest was history. Year after year, I never stopped. So I went and played 28 straight years. Where can you turn when you're in pain? Turn to Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, where more high school, college, and pro athletes turn. Where your neighbors and weekend warriors turn where you'll get immediate access to expert orthopedic specialists, physical therapy, and imaging at 15 convenient locations throughout the greater Cincinnati area. When you're in pain, turn to Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine and get superior care on your schedule. Visit beaconortho.com to schedule your appointment. That's the Beacon difference. Frosty Rucker, welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Thanks for taking time to join my myself and my my partner Kyle Decker here on the Underdog Podcast, man. Appreciate you guys, man. Uh, heard a lot about it. I've seen it. I witnessed it. Now I'm here, living a legend. And you guys got that right. Now it's 13 year veteran, not 12 like Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I had to make a, a correction, but he didn't want to respond to it. So. <laughs> hey, he posted it. I'm gonna just throw him under the bus. Well, hey. hey, someone take the blame. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, me. I'll, I'll take the blame. But, and but, but I but, he, hold on, hold on a second. I'm gonna talk about this pitcher. Okay, what about it? The ball security. Man, I was loose. <laughs> <laughs> so to 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 start this off, um, I was coming off a hamstring injury. I'm playing in this game. Ben throws a complete dart. Ben's one of your guys, right? Yep, yep, yep. He throws a complete dart at someone's head, and it just like drilled the guy in the head, and then it pops up and just right here. And so I catch the interception. I just came off a hamstring, and I'm like, I'm going to get caught. You know, <laughs> I should just go down. And then I was like, you know what? No way. This is the only time I get the ball. And I brought it back to Tustin High uh, glory days like Al Bundy, and I tried to house call it, and I didn't get caught by Ben. Okay. I got caught by the running back. He had an angle. 26 go. yards. I remember that. Because hey, if Ben would have cost you, this would have been a whole new yeah, podcast. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> he did not. But I want to say something. Uh, shout out to Ben, though, because I got hurt one night on a Thursday night game in uh, Pittsburgh. And he came up to me. I was on the ground. It was like the second play of the game or first play of the game. And he said, Frosty, are you okay? And I was like, man, I'll be all right. And he said, all right, praying for you. He walked up and said that and walked off. And I don't care what people say about him and all that. When I had that intimate moment when I was my career flashed before my eyes he came there and greeted me and said some kind words so shout out Ben uh, wow. it's good to know yeah and no, I spent three three years with him and you know he's that's who he's always been you know no matter what the media says he's right. he's always H. been a very faith-based guy and he's always had that heart so outside of the time he you know, choked you out, but yeah, no. But, but I understand why. <laughs> yeah. I don't need the story, but I get it. I've known this guy you. for a long time. I about did it yesterday. I so. hear you. Jeez. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. It's well. Let's get into yeah, let's get Frosty into Rucker. Um, so, who was Frosty as a as a young man, as a little boy? Um, I, th- I saw somewhere where you, like a lot of kids, had dreams of playing in the NFL, and you you were you're one of the one percenters who was able to make it happen. But take us back to who, who Frosty was as a, as a young boy. It's a good question. Um, I believe Frosty, as I look back, knowing who I am today and who I was uh, then, I think I was just, how do I say this? People just misunderstood. 
I had a lot of energy. I was a, I was a kid that had ADHD, and back in the day when you're in school, that means you're bad because you can't sit still. So I was a kid that was considered bad, but everyone loved me. Couldn't sit still, didn't really care what the teacher was talking about because it didn't interest me, and um, spent a lot of time being misunderstood until someone finally like was like, well, maybe you should try to teach him this way, or maybe he learns in a different manner, or maybe uh, we need to spend more time of, with him at recess and letting him run himself completely empty of energy, and then he'll sit there and sit still. And until they figured out how to manage me, I would like to say, uh, I was misunderstood, but. Yeah, and your father, was Was your father a pastor? Yeah, yeah, What, yeah. what role did he did he play in your it life? It was huge, he was huge. Um, it wasn't so much about the, the disciplining me of being a bad kid, because he knew me. Uh, obviously, I'm his. So, um, again, he told me continue to be myself and it's all going to work out. You know, he's always told me a lot of people are praying for me, um, not just at church, but he's like people always have you in, you know, in their thoughts. And they, they tell me and I just want to make sure he, he used to always tell me I'm making sure I always relay that message to you. People are praying for you to do great things in life. Uh, don't, don't matter what it is, but they're praying for you. And, uh, you know, I took that to heart, you know, like anyone in this world, no one's perfect. People stumble. There's adverse moments. Um, but I always knew people were praying for me. And it always felt good to know that. Yeah. Now, let's, we just talked about the ball security piece here. <laughs> um, so you played flag football growing up. And, you know, I think you were around. Flag? Right? Did you play flag? No, I didn't play flag football. Oh, they didn't have that when I was growing up. <laughs> you know, no, no, it was, uh, it was uh, like dual American Pop Warner type football. Okay, okay. Yeah. Now, when did you know that football was going to be, could be an opportunity for you to, to really start to excel? And you were probably better than a lot of your peers. My first year, the first practice. Um, How old? Uh, seven. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, my dad, when I was six, took me, because again, he's a big in church. So he took me to a kid's football game. And it's the first time I've seen football. So, um, Live, I seen it one time on TV. It was Jackie Slater giving an interview, and I asked my mom, like, what is that? And she was like, oh, no, you're too small. You can't do that. And I was like, oh, man. So I didn't understand. I just seen the pads. He was giving an interview right at, like, post game, And I was like, this is pretty cool. You know, it was all dirty. I love to play in mud and all that. So I was like, I like that. So my dad took me to this game, and it was just, like, the perfect football setting. You know, I don't like playing the game when it's really hot or really cold. I like overcast, right, with a little bit of dew. You know what I'm saying? Yep, yep, yep. So the pads were just cracking, and I'm just sitting here just absorbing the atmosphere. Just look at this energy. Look at the environment. I remember the team there were the Raiders. And then after the game, we all loaded up in the car, and we were going to eat pizza at a pizza party. And I like pizza. I like games, right? I'm a kid. I'm like, so you get to play, and then you get to go eat pizza. So this is just, you know, this is Disneyland for me at this moment. <laughs> so we're driving, and I'm just, like, checking out his pads and his helmet and you know, how it straps and like putting it on, smelling it, you know, the smell of football, yep. you, you mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about? Yep. So I'm like, I'm sitting here like, this is just me. And so football's coming up. I see all over town, like sign up, sign up. You know, they post these things on light poles and stuff. And I run and tell mom, like, mom, sign me up. And she was like, no, you're too small. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? And this, this lasted for like two weeks. You're too small. You're too small. And I was like, Everyone my age is the same, you know, like, it's not like I'm playing pro, right? right? Like, let me in, you know? And she was just adamant on saying no. 
And then I told dad, I was like, hey, mom said I could sign up. And he just took me right down there and signed me <laughs> up. So I signed up and she, you know, she freaked out. Like, he's going to get hurt and this, that, and dad was just like, let it happen. So I went um, to my first practice, didn't have any cleats. And I, I believe it now after talking to my mom, we didn't have money for signups. But, you know, parents, when they're going through whatever it is, they don't tell you what they don't have. They just make it happen, right? So I never knew, you know, my whole childhood how that, I was able to uh, pay to play. So um, I go there and, you know, my first coach, Robert Williams, still one of his sons to this day. Um, so Robert Williams was my first coach and he told us, hey, everyone, to start this practice off, run to the fence and back. So I just listened to everything he said. I ran to the fence, but it was a different fence than everyone else ran to. So everyone ran to the closer one and I booked it all the way to the <laughs> furthest one. Just haul and tail, right? Can we cuss on this yeah, one? Yeah. So I'm hauling ass. I'm yeah. digging, right? Like I'm beating everyone. And I'm like, no one's around me. And I look and they were like, turn around on their way back. So I automatically turned around and still beat them back before they got there. <laughs> just because I was like, I was so, again, absorbed in this moment and in, in this atmosphere and football. And that whole year from getting in the stance to eating spaghetti before games for carbs uh, knowing his true definition of football was hard work and mental toughness. Those, all those things ingrained in me just because I was absorbing everything. And I took off from there. I played tailback and I was just like a natural, you know, you go to T-ball games, right? Yep. My son's about to start playing T-ball. So I'm going to give that shout out to him. So you go to T-ball games and some kids are picking their nose in the outfield or, you know, turn the opposite way. And I was dialed in. So I played T-ball one year and I was like, this is just too slow. Cause I understood, but the other kids didn't. Right. So then football is the same thing. Like some kids were tiptoeing into it and I was a hundred miles per hour. Like this is me taught me how to tackle, say less, yeah. right? Head across. Okay. I can do that. So everything was just a natural. This is just a natural ability to me. And football was the only place I was always right. That was the only place. Cause remember at school I was bad cause I had energy, mm -hmm. but football, I was always, Good job, Frost. Way to go, Frost. So I gravitated to it. It was right. like, this is the place, this is my place where I'm good. You know, this much more energy that I have than everyone else is celebrated. Yeah. So right, I right. just, I took it in and the rest was history. Year after year, I never stopped. So I went and played 28 straight years. Jeez. Mm. Wow. Mm. So you go, and he still looks like he can still play. I got a series left. You got a series. Goal line. <laughs> not a lot of movement so you know right. so if we're talking a series that first second and third or can you get a fourth down in i can get a fourth down okay. you know i just a series a series all right so the series hopefully would be less than six plays <laughs> like it's it, a like lot it. that goes into it <laughs> right. cardio and all that. um so we always talk about so you obviously went on to Tustin High School, a lot of a lot of legendary players came out of there, and um, like us, you know, you got a chance to go on and play Division One football. Um, and again, I, we always talk about an adverse moment or, or you know underdog moment. So you go to Colorado State, um, you know, some things transpired there, um, and you ended up having to transfer. But can you take us back to just maybe a little bit of your experience at Colorado State and how that? propelled you into going to one of the most prestigious universities in the country? Absolutely. Um, like we're saying, we're talking about adverse moments. Uh, I'm there. Colorado State I had a great time. Sonny Lubick and his staff was great to me. 
I was one of their prize recruits coming in. Um, I had an opportunity to just, again, further my football career. The only place that I was good, again, but off the field, I was just a circus. <laughs> right? I just had all this like extra it. energy. So I think I just had way too much fun for Colorado State, you know, outside of it. And then um, getting a chance to transfer and going through that, that was the real tough thing because, again, you get caught up in recruiting trips and, like, having this good old time and not why you're going there. Right. Right? And if you don't have anyone – uh, in your family that can guide you and say, hey, this is what you need to be focusing on when you go on these trips or this is what you should be looking for at a school and how to further your education or are you getting a master's or, or are you going to play pro? What are you going to do? I was just simply going on recruiting trips because it was fun and I was transferring and, you know, just having a heck of a time. Yep. And, um, you know, a lot of people have told me, like, I fall up in life, you know, and I, I have to say I think it's because people have been praying for me to always land on my two feet and um, the opportunity came up where I could go back home to Southern California when I was about to I was just leaving a recruiting trip at Oregon State and I was going to be heading to the University of Miami not Ohio the Canes okay yeah, the okay. U they were they were you know at that moment we, we, we didn't recruit you no. Okay. <laughs> I wonder why. I didn't get that in the mail. You know? just, so Oxford, Ohio was his, like, that's really where he wanted to be. So this whole time. Yeah. I thought so, Gary Owen would get you there. I know you were on his podcast. Yeah. So I thought, you know, bring Oxtown back to uh, to Frosty from, you know, to Tustin, California to Oxford, Ohio. It's a hey, perfect. You know, I got formal. here somehow and I have spent time on your campus, but that's another uh, underdog story. <laughs> but um, uh, <laughs> being able to. Be in that atmosphere and getting a call from Coach O when I'm at the airport actually telling me, you know, Coach O, we all know him, right? Yep, yep. And he's on the phone. He's like, where the hell are you? And I'm like, who is this on my phone talking to me like this? I don't even know. Like, what? He's like, you're supposed to be in a weight room right now. And I'm like, I have no idea what he's saying, you know, because he's all the Cajun talk and he's yeah. yelling at me and he's never met me. So I called my mom. I was like, you know, USC call. And she was just so happy and like, Great, because, you know, you going out of state, we can't travel and see the game. So, like, you need support, obviously, and we're not able to be there, so I would really love it if you came home. And I'm like, yeah, but this guy's on the phone, like, yelling at me already, and he don't even know me. And so I'm like, all right, I'm listening to mom. I'm going go on a recruiting trip. So, again, my mindset was, let's see how much fun I could have on this recruiting trip and not really taking things serious. And the first thing that happened, they took me to the weight room, and I was like, holy beep. You know, I'm looking around. And I'm seeing all the numbers of the guys squatting 550, 600. I mean, just a list goes on. And then the names of who they are are just Hall of Famers. You know, Munoz is on the board. You got Troy Palomolo still there. You got um, Carson, which I knew briefly because of high school. He's there. I'm seeing these guys in the weight room. Um, I was just like, I don't even know if this is the level for me. You know, because I thought the expectations of what they were doing or building to exceeded anything that I was even thinking. Right. Right. I had no idea what Pete Carroll and his staff were doing. I had no idea what, who Coach O was to his core and a type of motivator and recruiter and had no idea. I just thought this guy was like yelling at me. And being from Orange County, I'd never been to L.A. either. Wow. I had no reason to go to L.A. So that was the first time I really seen bums and, you know, a circus on the streets. So I'm in this environment like, I don't know. 
And it may be tough, but my mom was like, you're going there. Like, I don't care. You're not leaving. So I huffed and puffed and I ended up being a Trojan. And it was the best decision of my life. When I think about it now, it, it truly gave me my foundation of how to work, um, how to be um, as professional as possible when it came to football, how to be dedicated to something and committed to something, and overall how to win, right? Yeah. You don't yeah. know how to win. And Pete Carroll taught me that. And then the winning part came from doing everything extra, running harder, lifting harder, studying harder. You know, wanting to be the best. We didn't have fancy facilities. Hell, I didn't get in a cold tub until I was in the pros. We didn't even have one at USC. Mm. Everything was underground. If you go to campus now, it's a lot different. But it was just like every player embodied that. Like, we could go to UCLA and have all that fancy stuff, but they suck. Right. They weren't really terrible then, but that's what the feeling was. Like, we're the best because we have it hard knocking here. You know, we don't have fancy lockers. We don't have anything extra. You got to get it how you live. That's what they used to say. You get it how you live, you yeah. know? And we did everything the hard way. We busted our tail. And then the wins just kept stacking and stacking. And then the success came with rings and, you know, getting put in environments around all these actors and stuff like that, which ultimately became like sort of the demise of our program, you know, having access to these people, which we shouldn't. But that was the environment we were in. And besides that little negative part, Coach Carroll and his staff mainly Coach O, was so important to that championship run that I still have those life lessons that I learned then and how to get up every, every morning and be dedicated to what I'm doing and being committed to what I'm doing and taking things to the finish line. You don't want to just get there, even though our last game we lost to Texas and we didn't finish it. But other than that, we finished everything we did. That was on the back of our shirts because you always have that, you know, do your job or – you know, there's some mantra for the season. Right. But at SC, it was always finish, you know, finish. And that's what we did. We finished, and um, I took that to when I got drafted to Cincinnati. Yeah. That that, that uh, Texas game is probably the best college football game I've ever seen. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, sorry, man. That was, I was going to say, wow. That's a, yeah. But it, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Okay. All right. Well, let's just, let's just move it's on. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, it was a hell of a game. I mean, you should be proud of it. Mean, definitely I mean, was. Yeah, I, would, sure. I, would, I would do anything every to play year, in the type And of I'm game. diving at Vince every single year, and then Twitter just goes on fire every single year. Yeah. And I'm just like, hey, I I was given a heck of an effort. I was, you know. Dude, you were, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah I was you, a kid, you yeah. know. So, do you think, going back, so that adverse moment in Colorado State where you were obviously not balancing – you know, the on and off the field, you know, activities that you think you would have not played football for as long as you had, if that didn't happen and you didn't transfer to, to USC. Have you thought through that? I mean, I know it's a hypothetical, yeah, no, but I, I've, I've thought about it. I still talked to a number of those guys that were on that team um, with me my freshman year and say, what could have been, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know if I was a difference maker to be able to compete when we actually, we played versus Colorado State two years later. So, and we beat them 60 to probably 10 or something. I felt bad, but I would have been in that environment to play SC. What would I have done in that that game? On the opposite side of that freight train of a team, what would Frosty have done? And you live up to me, I would have got busy. They wouldn't have gave me the football on offense, but I was playing defense. I would have had 10 plus tackles. I already know what time it was <laughs> for me. But I think about those memories all the time. And like, if I didn't take that next step and if Coach O didn't call and my mom wasn't so stern with it 
when before it was my decision. You know, you leave high school, it's like, well, you make the best decision for you. You know, no, no real guidance. Like, ah, I wouldn't do that. Right. You know, I wouldn't go there too far away. You should think about this. When thinking anything like that, but it took me to have to listen again to my parents when I was already past 18, thinking I knew it all when you don't to listen to my mom saying, you're not going anywhere else. You're going there. And for that reason, that's why, you know, there's songs about dear mama and all that because mamas can make decisions and dads can make decisions that will help you the rest of your life. And, um, she gets all the, the praise because she really made that decision. Yeah. No, no more power to her and helping guide you through that decision. Um, you know, as, as far as you get to USC and I was listening to some content, you were saying, obviously one of the most recognizable folks when you were there was Reggie Bush. And Mm -hmm. you said he was one of the heart, he was the hardest worker in the room. Absolutely. So going into an environment, like you said, where you look up at Munoz and all the great players, Paul Malo, so and so forth. And then you walk into a room with a current player, like a Reggie Bush, obviously he set that tone right for, from a work ethic perspective. Absolutely. So no one ever thinks a freshman is going to come in and do the damn thing. Right. Especially a, a school like, any D1 school, you already got guys waiting in line. They've been lifting. They've been eating right. They've been going to class. It's third time, right? Then you get this recruiting class that comes in that changes the whole dynamic of the university. And that's what happened with Reggie and Lindell, Chauncey Washington. Uh, they they recruited so many top-level players that the competition level just went all the way up. You know, my dad, he – um. He preached in San Diego, so he was already telling me about this Reggie Bush kid. And I was like, Dad, I've already been here a year. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dad, There's yeah. no way. Oh, I've been here like the summer before they got there. It was like, there's no way this kid's going to come in and do that. I'm looking at Justin Fargus, which is our, our running back at the moment. You know, I was like, he's not beating out Jay Farg. He's not, you know, th- all this stuff isn't happening. And um, he came in. They worked their tail off, obviously the next year. They, they worked their tail off and made an immediate impact. And from that point where Reggie stepped on campus, he acted the way it all was going to unveil. He worked at it. He went to class. He was never in trouble. Uh, you know, he did extra workouts. He was out there sprinting on the, tra- the track, and, you know, he's a track guy. So it was, it was more than just football for him. He wanted to be the best. And that was the first time that I really paid attention to someone like really go about it in a, in a manner that, again, that's why I was the number two pick in the NFL draft, played a number of years at running back, Jersey retired in New Orleans, soon to be retired again at USC. He was that, but it was so many guys that, you know, made that atmosphere that, but the competing, the competition, it was, it was second to none. Yeah. And then you talk about the USC brotherhood real quick and, I think it comes back in later in your journey, from my understanding, when um, you were released through another adverse moment with the Browns, right? And then Carson Palmer, who is a USC guy, obviously, and, and he's out in Arizona, and he kind of helped. Hey, it was a familiar face oh, out absolutely. in the Cardinals, and then all of a sudden you're playing a bunch more years after that, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, to take it back, the relationship with Carson, we played versus him in the high school championship. I was a freshman, as a senior, is uh, Deshaun Foster versus Carson Palmer, basically in that championship. Deshaun Some ran talent. for 377 <laughs> yards. Carson threw for close to 500 yards. It was just back and forth, and I was just amazed with the talent. Get to SC, uh, 
I'm there the year he wins the Heisman. I'm uh, redshirting, so I was the practice squad player, practicing for him every day, making him better, and I feel like I helped that because I was out there giving it my all, and that's the way I view when you're on the practice squad. You have to give them the best look. Iron sharpens iron. Then I end up in Cincinnati with him because he was the quarterback here, and I get drafted here. Um, so we spent a number of years there to, uh, here together in Cincinnati, and then when we're both leaving, I was leaving Cleveland, not sure if I wanted to play, just signed a five-year contract. They released me, another adverse moment, like you said, and when I'm getting a call from Carson, like, hey, I'm thinking about making a move there. And I'm like, yo, what's going on? Because he was on a contract. They're going to trade for him. I didn't know. I was like, let me know what you're doing. If you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. You know, if we're going to go in there, he's like, yeah, we're going to start this thing from scratch. Bruce Aarons has got a good thing going. Brand new coach. We're going to be his guys. I want you to come. So I'm like, you know what? I'm with it. Carson got traded. You know, he's still making a big buck. So I took a one-year deal, uh, one-year contract minimum. I think it was $700,000 or something like that. And, um, you know, I had to let my ego go. You know, I had just signed a five-year, 20-something million dollar contract. And, you know, you think that's your value now, right? Just a year ago, I was worth a five-year contract, right. you know? And now it's like, oh, we'll give you a one-year minimum <laughs> to play. And on top of that, I had to switch positions. So I played outside defensive end in a 4-3 for seven years. And then I had to end up, playing inside at three technique, one technique, and a, um, a, a three, four personnel group. So I'm like, wow, I got to figure it out if I want to play football, right? right. I, I came to USC at linebacker, ended up converting to a defense, defensive end. I can do it. And I had one of the best coaches I've ever had in my life, Brenton Buckner, which is the defensive line coach now for uh, Arizona still after a couple stints. Uh, elsewhere, but he's come back and he played defensive line in the NFL for 12 years and he broke D tackle nose guard down to me to a science the way that I could learn it and say, if you want to do this, if you want to learn this, you could play a lot longer in your career. And I embraced it. I listened, I studied, I was first one in, um, beating coaches to the office certain days. And, you know, that's when I start separating myself separating myself from being a bro to a pro. You know, I was able to overcome a lot of adversity in Cincinnati, not win a lot of games after being used to winning so much and the culture was different. It was really confusing for me getting to Cleveland. Okay, now I'm back here. You finally get the contract of your life. You know, you busted my tail, got to the point where I get a five-year contract, you know, a big one, and then it was gone in the season. Started all the games, didn't miss one game. It was weird. And then, um, so now I'm here changing positions to reinvent myself, you know, and recommit myself. And that's what just happened. I recommitted uh, myself to learning the new craft, put the hours in, played five years, and had some really, really, really great years there in Arizona. Can you talk about, you mentioned it downstairs and you just said it. Um, I thought your definition of the term bro versus pro, can you kind of just elaborate on what that means to you when you when you say yeah, that term absolutely so um the way i look at it a lot of bros can get somewhere right they can you, you can hire bros to work here at the office with you and you know they could last for a little while but the dedication to being here on time and uh clicking on that zoom and signing on on time and 
you know, representing the job center, right? The way it's supposed to be ran. Uh, that's the professional side of it. The bros can get here, but can the pros step up and change their ways and grow and adapt to what this new thing is? And I had to live through it to find that definition myself. I had to go through, oh, I'm more athletic than everyone. Or, oh, now things are getting rough. What's my foundation? Go back to the foundation, the core of who I am as a person, as a player, uh, the guidance my father has given me, coaches have, and that's the stuff. Everyone wants to say they're a student of the game. But are you really? Are you really taking your notebook home and actually studying? You know, coach used to give us discs before it was all on iPads and stuff, discs of plays. Those discs were coasters. They were, you know, they turned into everything because right. the focus wasn't really there. Like, I'm not going to put this in my DVD player and sit here, and I didn't even know how to watch film. I knew what I was doing because of SC – but I wasn't like in tune with watching someone's kick slide and where they punch with their outside. If it is it coming straight up? Is it outside? Are they grabbers? They can grab my shoulder pads. I wasn't defined like that. But it took that adverse moment of humbling myself and losing my ego after Cleveland to be like, you know what? You're starting from scratch. Rededicate yourself and do it all and turn into a pro. And that pro took me further than the first seven years of my career. It took me further the relationships, the um becoming captain later on in my years, having some of the best stats of my career when I'm 30 years old, as for when I'm 24 or 25, right? It kind of just, it proved it that if you dedicate yourself and actually learn your craft, put those hours in, it's going to be tough. Not everyone's going to understand. You're going to be sacrificing party times and going here, going there, staying up late, video games, all this other stuff. You got to get your rest. Now you got to get your massages on schedule, chiropractor, stretching you got to do all these things to continue this career that's when i knew it was like now i'm a pro yeah love that love, love that it, yeah. and, and let's talk about the c on the chest i think that's something i find you know there's obviously it's elite just to get to the nfl but then all of a sudden they only have at least three or four captains typically and maybe there's some more I, you know i don't know exactly but you're you're one of a select few with a c on your chest in arizona and in oakland can you talk about that, what that meant to you as a as a player that's putting in that work, as you mentioned, being a pro and not a bro, and um, kind of maybe the process too? Yeah. Um, well, each year you have a chance to vote for a captain, and it wasn't before I came a captain, became a captain in Arizona until I even thought that I could be one. So I would always be just voting for other guys. You know, everyone that I thought was a leader in the locker room or uh, did different things that just meant a lot to me. And when it was finally my turn, it felt like it was my turn. It, was, it felt like it was my turn to lead. I was always a leader, natural born leader, obviously coming from a prestigious school like USC and, you know, and doing certain things and being around a certain selective group of guys that all went top 10 and, you know, and, and then the environment. But being in Cincinnati, they never asked me to be myself. I was always trying to prove something to the coaching staff and this, that, and the other, instead of taking my attributes of what I, who I am and letting that happen and absorb with everyone else until we can get a finished product out there and everyone's leaning on each other, which happened my last year and we got to the playoffs. But, you know, like I'm saying, when I felt it was my moment and I'm looking at the guys in the room and, you know, they're coming to me for asking questions and, you know, everything about every facet of their life I was the go-to guy. Like, hey, man, I'm having an issue with this. What do you, 
I was the I was the guy. You know, I was the cornerstone guy. And when I was in Cincinnati, Marvin Lewis used to always say, "You're always holding court, right?" And I didn't know it was a bad thing that people looked at you in a certain manner to want to talk to you about personal things. But he wasn't in the locker room. He didn't understand. And I never understood that relationship between him because it's like it was always frowned upon me being myself and who I am that I shouldn't be doing these things. And then when I got to Arizona, I grew into my role and they embraced it. We need more of that. We need more leadership. We need these things. And that's what we built. And we were a game away from going to Super Bowl because of being able to wrap my arms around a lot of guys, young guys that were counting on, you know, you hear the term next man up. Until you have to embody that and you get, you know, get put in a situation that your top quarterback goes down, we got to get this other guy, which was Drew Stanton. Obviously, he's a player, but we have to let him know that we're supporting him just like it was Carson and having those talks with guys like, hey, don't put your head down. Drew needs our support. He needs our love right now. He needs this. He needs that. And guys feeding off that. And we pushed each other and we just kept winning. Right. And getting that C on my chest, just it simplified everything for me that I'm enough. The work that I'm putting in is enough. Not saying I couldn't have did more or anything like that, but me as a person was enough and I don't need to be trying to be something that Marvin Lewis maybe wanted and wasn't asking for. I was, I, I, I was confused in Cincinnati. Cleveland was such a short stint. I actually was able to be myself and, the proof was in the pudding and who I am to the environment, to the organization. And that's why I still get uh, celebrated and, you know, phone calls from GMs and stuff like that and interviews for different positions because of that. They allow me to be myself and myself was enough for them. Yeah. Awesome. I think he should run the, not only the job center, but maybe a lot of NFL organizations. My man's got it. Yeah. One day. Yeah, one day. The plan. Higher circus. I love no. it. No, no, no. You no, can't no. take you away from here, no. right? No, you can't take it away from no, here. No, no. But we, that, we, we and Frosty already have a deal. He's going to Cleveland. He's going to hire me. We're going to bring you on, then we're going to fire you, just, to, just so we can have one up on Cleveland's you. doing well, so I don't think they need <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. But no, seriously. That's, yeah. that's some of the things in the future that I'd like to attain front office, as for just coaching and things like that, making decisions and building the atmosphere that is going to sustain – to win yep. you got to build that atmosphere of what you want you know the tone to be set at and you know the people you want in those positions that are going to be vocal and some people are going to show you by play and you know you got to have your one guy that's out of his mind and you you need all those it, it, it creates a balance in the team sure you know you guys know the cycles that were on your team in miami ohio right? Yeah, right but they added so much to the team because you knew you could count on them for slamming a helmet or something or just picking up that spark or you have that unsung hero that was going to go back there like big Ben and throw that rock down and make that play. And it's like, you need all those things to balance the team. And yeah. um, I think the experience I have could lead to something like that. And I think go oh, as the fro frosty as it, as you transition, I mean, your self aware, his emotional intelligence, I think out of the 90 plus episodes, and we've had a lot on here. You have a very high, at least in my opinion, emotional intelligence IQ and then, you know, going off of that, I think your, your self-awareness through these events as I'm, I'm listening to you have created then this next level and what you're doing now, a lot of things, you know, post NFL and post football. Can you kind of touch upon some of those? And then also, um, you know, you talked about and you're open about mental health and that, you know, part of your transition plan 
has been, you know, with your pastor, with, um, you know, a therapist or, or a life coach helping you really even sharpen your mind uh, off the field in your new endeavors? Yeah. Well, whenever you're going to, you're getting out of a position or something that you've done for so long and you're rediscovering who you are. I had that moment leaving Cleveland to rediscover who I was in Arizona with a new position in the NFL. Like not many people can switch positions in the NFL and stay in the league. Right. Yeah. Cause there's millions of people that are trained for that one particular job. So once you're exiting the game of something, like I said, I did for 28 straight years. Um, it, it was rough. I went through a lot of stuff that first uh, off season of just like, okay, if, if I'm not going to play, who am I? Right. I did a lot of business ventures when I was playing, but I never had the time to execute them. So a lot of them failed. And I wouldn't say they just failed. I, I learned from them that I needed more time to actually take them to the finish line. The same amount of time I did with football, right? The, the ten thousands of hours that I put creating that atmosphere for me in my mind, I had to take to another thing that I was passionate about. What is this passion going to be? And it takes a lot of people, including myself, to really find how to categorize, categorize these passions for a monetary things be self-fulfillment three so my son's proud of me right and for my family to be proud of me because my whole life they've been able to express how proud they were by cheering for me and telling me what a great game I had and and things of this nature and now the crowd's gone I don't get to perform to get the gratitude how am I going to be as a son as a brother as a father in this this world now that isn't congratulating me for anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's like tough. It, it, it was, tough. It, yeah, it's very tough. And I, I went through a lot of stuff um, that way, but I knew I needed to get to a therapist as quick as I could. The The NFL doesn't, they do a great job of providing healthcare and things of that nature. But you know, again, you can't have an ego and be afraid to go get the help. Right. I needed the help because yeah. I was confused. I didn't know who the hell I was outside of, pads and being attached to a team i lost my ego playing but then coming out of here i need more confidence in myself mm-hmm. i'm in the real world now you know i'm on a, a whole no set of terms and you know uh i had a lot of fears of being in the nfl uh being more vocal because everyone can pick at you and critique you and you didn't do this or you didn't do that when damn well they couldn't do it because if they could they'd be there but again, that's just people, couch coaches, sitting there critiquing, writing stuff. And I never wanted to do interviews as much. I, I, I was like, I'll just fall back because of issues I had that I never felt like explaining. But now I've learned to, I wish you would ask me something crazy. You know, I'm representing my family now and myself as for a team and organization that I didn't want to say the wrong thing and, you know, and yeah. stir something up and lose money because of it. But now it's like, I'm defending something way more bigger than that. Yep. My name. Yep. Love it. Love it. Powerful. And it, it gets to that point where, you know, you have to go seek help to redefine who you are. And that's what I had to do. I've seen um, sports psychologists and therapists, and um, I had to figure out again who I was outside of those pads. And everyone goes through it. Even like when you guys left. Yep. You know, my, you had to figure out who you are. What's, what's the job now? Cause no one cares about you anymore in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And 
it, it just, it really, it's a, it'll wake you up, you know? And I just made sure that I attacked the mental health part quicker so I didn't crumble. So I've seen a lot of guys crumble in this atmosphere because again, they have an ego and they don't want to get help or they don't think they need it. Oh, he has a way worse than I do. No, you just don't know all those old traumas and stuff. Now they're going to start festering because you have more time to think about them. Your past growing up and you know, situations that you're in where you thought it was cool and it was actually trauma, you know, Oh, remember when we got pulled over and we did this. That was actually trauma. You weren't supposed to be getting pulled over. Right. Right. You know, you right. weren't supposed to be running from cops or you weren't supposed to be stealing candy or anything like that. And we laughed at it then, you know, oh, we got away with it. But deep down, now I have such an important role as a father to make sure my son knows you don't have to do that stuff. That's actually not cool. Yeah. 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 You know, and right. again, I wouldn't have never known that if I didn't go seek the therapy and make sure that I was OK with walking and talking and speaking my truths on who I am every single day. Yeah. So you have a, um, <clears throat> speaking of Father's, Father's Day, I don't we usually try to keep these timeless, but Father's Day just passed, so happy Father's Day. Thanks, and you there's, um, you know, Come following there. your social media, man, um, and just seeing, there was a surveillance video <laughs> someone pulled on your, and it's on your IG, mm-hmm. and you're walking your son up to school, um, and I think the caption says, you know, you want to be moved or want to be brought to tears or whatever it says. And I watched it. Um, and it's just, a, it's just you on a surveillance camera walking your son and you stop and you pull your camera out and you, your phone and you're taking pictures of him. Can you talk about, and we'll go into rapid fire after this, but can you just touch on what fatherhood has means to you? And is there anything that you learned? You might've already answered this because it's been a great podcast What anything you've learned from the game of football that, um, that you've can apply to fatherhood. Yeah. Be committed. Be dedicated. Um, there's adverse moments. Um, me and his mother aren't together, but that doesn't stop me from being a dad, right? Mm-hmm. Learning, you know, to fight the good fight and do what's important. Don't move with certain emotions and don't let your emotions speak for yourself. Uh, control your tongue, you know, um, your attitude. All those football traits come into fatherhood because now you got someone looking up to you literally like this. Like, what, daddy? You know, and everything counts. So the books you read at night, the messages and pictures that you see on the walls, taking the time to explain those things and being patient because you got to understand that may be the first time he's seen that butterfly. That may be the first time he's seen that certain bird, right? Now I can put it up on YouTube and research the bird and show him that, right? And now my son is not thinking, oh, all I have to do is play football like daddy or, oh, I like to take pictures because daddy has a camera phone and we take cool pictures. And he shows me all the time at the pictures we took, right? Things of that nature. So fatherhood means so much to me because it gives you another purpose. It's a passion. And, you know, for guys that don't have fathers or fathers have passed or, you know, whatever situation happened between moms, you can sense that when you're on teams with guys, more emotional, you know, that they're going through other things that you just don't know about. And I knew from when I was a kid until now the importance of having my dad and getting through certain adverse moments with him to understand him. You know, my father and my mother weren't together when I was growing up, and I didn't understand the battles that he faced. I get it now. I didn't know it then. So there's some type of disconnect at a certain point in my life where I needed him the most as a young man, but my ego was in a different manner because I was listening to 
crowd noise and not focusing on this guy is the same guy that, you know, took me to convalescent homes to talk to old people when I was a kid, not knowing that I'd be in front of cameras one day and be able to know how to talk. Right? Like, right. let's go back to who he actually is instead of like what someone may be saying and taking that for the word. They weren't there. They, you know, those people weren't feeding me. They didn't put clothes on my back. He did. Right. He did all that stuff. So, but it took time for me to get to there. And that story you mentioned was I actually took Lincoln, it's my son's name, I took Lincoln to Arizona during the pandemic and whatnot. We were visiting my mom. She was out there and she was alone for a very long time because you can't go around people and stuff. So, you know, we, I took my COVID test and make sure I was great. And I took him there to visit her, but I took him by work. And normally like probably today with everything open, I'd probably be able to take him in a locker room and show him around and give him a real inside look at football, mm -hmm. you know? But for this particular moment, I happened to drive up. I took him out of the car and took him in front where they had a Cardinal bird just on the wall. And he's like, you know, just walking with him. He's like, daddy, he looks mean and he doesn't look nice. I was like, dude, he's the nicest bird you'll ever see. Go over there. So he walks over there, you know, no fear, takes a picture by it and all that. And the guys that run the video department actually seen it and they recorded it and sent it to me like, oh, we got you when you came because I didn't tell them I was coming, but they just looked because no That's one's cool. coming to the office like that. And yeah, it was just a special moment. And if that's the little bit that I got to share with him about my past and what I built for him and, and whatnot, that moment was just, you know, my heart explode. Yeah. You know, being able to share with him something. And that's why I think more universities, more high schools should really honor guys that came through and varsity lettered and stuff and put their name up somewhere because you'd be able to show someone else like, Hey, I did that. I put the work in, you know, my attitude was right. I finished it. Yep. We won this. It took teamwork. I was a part of that. And all that matters because if I had that example, who knows? I could have played longer. Can't say I, I wouldn't have played 13 years or nothing like that, but just a little bit shift in something. You know, we go to schools uh, and, and read to kids in class, right? Take it for granted. No big deal. But I just now I sit back and like, what if I was a kid and an NFL player came and read a book to me? <laughs> or he came to recess yeah. and played dodgeball with me. Right. And signed something or gave me a card that said, hey, that's what I do in my hometown now. I, I go back and I do these things. I train kids. And I'm like, I grew up on the same streets as you, Red Hill and Mitchell. You, yeah, same grocery store. Yeah. Armando at the store, I know Armando. Love that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but that's that's who I am to my core. And, you know, fatherhood brings that all out and – just, you know, absorbing, I keep using that word, but that's what is, I've just been taking it all in and being able to know which point to to, to give to him and what to put on his plate, what not to. And it, it feels good. Man, love it. Let's get the rapid fire. Yeah, love this, it, man. This is, this I'm not gonna, great. I have no follow-up to that. Yeah. No need to. Did you put him? Uh, did you put him on the hot seat? I don't know, man. You know. We, I leave the questions up to him it. to say you know. Yeah. So I might, I might mistweet things, but... You know, the man over there usually, uh, I don't know, we'll see here. I, this is kind of just for a lot of the Bengals oh, fans. You went soft on I mean, they're pretty soft. I mean, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> this is hypothetical. Okay. I think a lot of Bengals fans want to know this question, answer this, and maybe just your, your thoughts. What if Carson Palmer doesn't get injured that year? How far do you guys go? Was this the year before I, I got here? 
I think they win the Super Bowl. Yeah. This year, we blew his knee out, right? Yep. They would have won. Yeah. They would have won. Okay. I really think so. I think um, the energy, the momentum they had going into the playoffs, fighting and scratching and crawling versus Baltimore and Pittsburgh, and then for that to go down, and they were still up yeah. big at halftime. So if Carson would have been playing, they would have been lighting them up. So I think they would have been far, and I think that was the year they could have went to the Super Bowl. Got to get back there. Um, I think you had, what, 21 and a half sacks in your career? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't got short them. Got that one right short them. Don't cheat me. Don't cheat What's me like those years in the league. <laughs> I said something immediately. Hey, don't cheat me that year. Because I went through a lot that year that you cheated me. I'm, a lot. I'm on Frosty's list, man. I got to get off this list. <laughs> What's your most memorable sack, if you could think of one? Oh, uh, that's a good one. Uh, I got Brett Favre when he played for the Jets. And it's memorable because no one took a picture. So I don't have a picture of it. But I sacked There's him. no footage? There's no uh, TV, TV copy, but no one, the Bengals don't have it. No one has the picture of it. And I got him when he was at the Jets. And I and I beat uh, Hutchinson, uh, the, the guard. He was uh, he was in Minnesota for a long time. He was a real good player. And I beat him for the sack and sacked Brett Favre. And you got past uh, Orlando Pace at one point, right? That was my first sack, career for sack. First career sack. But he was old. He played for Chicago. But whatever. It's Orlando, it's Orlando Pace. Pace. There you go. <laughs> yeah. He's, that's it. He, he, he has a gold jacket. Yes, he does. Yeah. That's my first. That's a, that's a pretty good dude. Mm-hmm. Anyone starting the National Football League is is a very talented individual. Yeah. Um, speaking of Cleveland, I got I got to throw a Cleveland question in because I'm diehard as he learned. Short stint there, but what what was memorable? I know you said you liked the city. Yeah. Um. You know what? What else? Anything else there for the Browns? Uh, I, I like the fans. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, they're the most loyal people i mean i play for the raiders too so i'm a lot of teams have great fans but when a team doesn't have success every year and there's not a lot of wins there's not a lot of playoff appearances not a lot to really cheer about and they show up when it's one degree and they're tailgating out there and um the fans i i really enjoy playing in front of the dog pound and uh, i played versus them for a number of years but that environment on that cold Ocean, not the lake. It's an ocean. I'm, I'm convinced. You can't. It's an ocean. It's too big of a body of water to not be an ocean. But anyways, playing on that lake, playing in front of those fans that were there hollering and screaming when it's one degree out and the stadium was packed, that means a lot. And I, I know a lot of fans don't understand that, but as athletes, you know, it's cold. We feel it. You feel it. And we're both committed to be out here. Obviously, we're getting paid, and you guys are paying to see this. So that's why, as an athlete and as a teammate in the locker room, I always tell guys, bust your ass because these people are paying and they're here. You live in Cleveland, they don't care if you're 10 wins or four. They're there. Mm-hmm. And that meant a lot to me. Love it. Love nice. it. Okay. Love okay. it. Love it. Being a die. I told Frosty grew up in uh, Brown's Backers Bars my whole life and, and uh, paid my dues, I think, for quite a while. But Absolutely. it's good to see the organization die on the hard. move. But yeah, he he. Uh, well, I appreciate your service to the Cleveland Browns and, and saying those nice words. I know a lot of folks. Uh, I'll, I'll be sending this too because they they like to know behind the scenes. So really appreciate that. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap. Uh, you want to ask it? You want me to ask? No, it? I'm not. I all butcher right, he's, it. He usually messes this question up. All right. So we asked this question to all of our guests. All right, rip. Um, but before you answer, you have to agree to help us make it happen. Okay. 
Who's one person we should have as a guest on the Underdog Podcast? Oh, that's a good one. Um, ooh, that's a good one. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Would you guys rather have a, a Bengal player or a Brown player or an actor? Anything? What, what genre? Hmm, good question. Um, either. I mean, really, wh- whoever you think in your gut. You know, you, like yeah. you said, high emotional intelligence you have. So who would be a good one for us, you think? Either, I mean, can be a player, can be an actor. I mean, who who would uh, be able to come on and share some nuggets to help our audience? You know, I had a chance to interview an old teammate, Andrew Whitworth. And I think yeah. he he had a special, a special conversation with me. And it went really far uh, to take a lot in of, you know, trials and tribulations and things of that nature and it's to continue to play at a high level and he's still on a roster and uh, I think Andrew Whitworth would be a great one for you guys because I know he's a fan favorite here in Cincinnati um, he's a fan favorite in uh, LA they mm-hmm. love him and um, and I know why yeah and yeah. it's cool because as, as we mentioned too we I have uh, three ex-teammates that were in my class specifically that are coaching over yeah. there, and they love him. And he was with you. Don't hear one bad thing about Andrew Whitworth. I mean, honestly, they—they they he's like he's just the guy. I'm sure how you know Bruce yeah. Arians felt about you. I mean, it's he's the guy. Yeah, like, constant pro. That's one thing yep. that I was labeled, and I would say the same thing uh, about him. You know, if we want to, you know, talk about it, let's talk about my draft class when we came here to Cincinnati. You got Jonathan Joseph. He just recently retired. Mm-hmm. Andrew Whitworth, then myself, Domita Pecco. Wow. Jeez, and we all played thirteen plus. Good grief! Best draft class in Bengals history. Oh, it has to be. Yeah, a lot that's of history. Just, that's 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 <laughs> yeah, that's a that's, that's a mic a drop right there. I I you know, and that's, again, that's whew. that's the credit to the Bengals organization that doesn't have fifty scouts and this that and the other. They picked high character guys that could last and were durable. Uh, we came from good programs, and I, I I'm still amazed at what we did. Mm-hmm. For As sure, for sure, and I think that's why. And again, that's one of the reasons that I reached out to you to have you on. Yeah, you know, we've been friends for a long time, but I know you're still a fan favorite here in Cincinnati. Yeah. You know, and, and so people, not as I mean, I would not as much as probably Cleveland, but the the fan base here is definitely loyal. Um, yeah. We've, you know, and so that's why we wanted to have you on. So we we'll definitely love to. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get too crazy. Good environment. Here. Good environment. You know, good that's environment. why I'm so around. I, you know, yeah. still, well, when you're in Cincinnati, the city is so good to its, its athletes. Yeah. You know, there really, there really isn't any static with the restaurants or the bars or clubs or anything. You pretty much have access to do whatever you want if you're respectful and everyone gets taken care of the right way. And this is a perfect time to ball. Uh, a perfect place to to ball, and um, that's why I'm still around. That's why I still uh, have a place here, and um, I still, you know, buy local and eat local foods. It's not big chain restaurants all the time. I, I support local, and and I, I believe in it. So I, I like Cincinnati a lot. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, this has been incredible episode. I'm not just saying because he's yeah. he's here. We haven't gone this yes, long. Yeah, we haven't. We no, haven't gone this long, and yeah. 
50 episodes. Really? Yeah, yeah we, we're usually 30 we minutes. Cut, we cut, cut John Harbaugh and Urban off. We just let... Frosty Rucker has rock. pushed now. Frost, Frosty has pushed the limits past the, 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 the large... I've been pushing limits for a long time, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> a long time. No. Yeah, well, on behalf of both of us, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate you coming in, man. Yeah. It's all about growth, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate you, brother. All right.